0: welcome to out of the ordinary episode three of series two my name is jack welcome again to another episode of the podcast this week is a bit of a different week this week i am for the first time ever on the podcast i am joined by a guest i'd like to formally introduce my guest for this week james are you there
1: hello yes i am here
0: you're there hello james hello <laughs> Thank you so much for joining uh, me on the podcast. You are the first ever guest. I am honoured. I hope you are. <laughs> um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you to have you here. Um, so this week, we're kind of talking a little bit about both of autism, but we're also covering a little bit more about ADHD as well. Um, and I know from kind of the introductions that I've done Uh, about you um that I'll do on kind of on social media before the podcast Mm -hmm. that these are two kind of these are two things that you live alongside yourself that's right isn't
1: it I know I
0: I am very blessed I have both you've got both you're a bit greedy aren't you you can't can't (laughs) just settle for one (laughs) I kind of the reason you're here today um is to discuss both of those of course in your own unique circumstance and your own unique perspective but also to kind of discuss how they work kind of in tandem with each other together and I know that you've we've spoken a little bit about the term comorbidity that's right uh, yeah that you're that I, I think you're, you're fairly familiar with but also to to kind of give you an opportunity to talk about your experiences with those the the kind of the diagnosis process as well I'd be very interested to to kind of hear those kind of um those kind of experiences from somebody else other than myself I guess so Mm -hmm. it's going to be really interesting to hear your perspectives just to kind of before we kind of get deep delved into things how are you doing are you okay
1: yeah I'm good um as I said to you earlier on I think I took on a lot more than I expected to this week and that is also a problem of ADHD you say yes to a lot of
0: things and then you forget that you said yes to them and that's I mean that's quite a good early example of something about ADHD because of course I think the thing that I'll say first of all um for uh, listeners of the podcast is so I have a um diagnosis of autism or autism spectrum disorder you have like we said you've got both you've got autism spectrum disorder and ADHD so this is I mean for me as a podcast host this is unique because i'm talking to somebody who obviously lives alongside something that i don't which i think is utterly fascinating i think and 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 i think is going to be so good for me but also for people who maybe listen to this podcast primarily for autism and don't know very much about adhd um but actually even and, and i've got kind of obviously with every podcast episode that i do i try and get research in and i try and kind of get some some information in to kind of back up from the professional sphere of of things. ADHD and autism are I think still in 2023 a lot of people don't know that they coexist a lot more with each other than perhaps people realise. Would you say that was a fair kind of analysis?
1: I would yes and I don't have the precise statistics but it is an extremely high amount of people that mm. present with autism will also have some ADHD traits and there are different types of ADHD as well so um, yeah you'll see different types of things I, I believe um, looking at my other window here some people are saying 30 to 80 percent which is a very broad kind of thing mm. yeah. Um, but yeah it, is, it can be a quite a high percentage of people and there are kind of speculations to whether or not um, ADHD just is a type of autism
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because it is a neurodiverse condition. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, um, so, I suppose it's a good junction for me to pop in with the research that kind of has has cropped up in my consciousness. Um, So the research that I've kind of pulled for this particular episode dates back to just last year. So it was only a year old, 2022. And this particular bit of kind of statistical study comes from... um, an autistic clinical psychologist who also lives alongside ADHD. Um, It's a lady called Amy Marshall. It's available out on the internet. Uh, It was published on a website called Very Well Mind. Um, So it's available for anybody to listen to. The suggestion from herself and and the studies that she carried out was that 40%, now I'll give a caveat. This is just an introductory figure. 40% of autistic people also have adhd coexisting alongside however there are other studies out there that suggest the figure is as you've pointed out much higher and much closer to approximately around 70 percent so that's 70 percent approximately of people who live with both yeah um i mean that that's much more reflective of of kind of what you said but how does how does that particular figure make you feel
1: It, it does sound fairly kind of in line with the things that I've heard as well so um <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean originally for me right. most of my things that I was looking into were all ADHD based so autism is a fairly new uh, they were diagnosed around the same time but mm-hmm. autism was kind of on the back burner to me because ADHD was the more the thing that I was focused on more yeah so that's what I knew most about but
0: so a- ADHD was the thing that you um, was the, the kind of the, the focal point that you went for first? Yes. Right? Yeah. And then it was kind of autism came from that? Kind of,
1: kind of, yes. So, I mean, I had some fairly difficult life experiences um, sort of from mm-hmm. 2018 onwards, and it did raise some questions. And I, I think I asked a question at the time I spoke to my GP about it, and we were just like, there was a bit of a shrug. And mm when I went for the ADHD diagnosis, the organization that I I went to to provide that also does an autism thing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of sort of said, well, let's do both referrals anyway, because it does, there are some things that I can identify with that don't necessarily fit the category of ADHD. And during the diagnosis process for uh, ADHD, the, the, the doctor did say, there probably is something else um we don't have time during your adhd evaluation but we do need the second evaluation
0: i mean it's something obviously as i I said at the beginning it's it's part of the episode is i'd I'd really love to know about and hear a little bit more about that kind of diagnosis journey if you like because yeah uh, i'm sure for anybody who doesn't know um i can speak from my own experience about um getting your official autism diagnosis that is a lengthy waiting process in itself um and I, I can't imagine having to do that for two separate kind of avenues yeah um as well just to kind of add to that add to that waiting fun if you like um interestingly enough though from the research that i've i've kind of carried out um, it's only been a decade so we're looking at 2013 where autism and adhd were actually first First recognized as coexisting conditions, um, I don't know if you were aware of that or not, or I, if you got kind of.
1: I wasn't, and that isn't what I thought you were about to say, actually, because it also has only been—I don't know if it was two thousand—it was either two thousand eight or two thousand eighteen—that mm. ADHD was recognized to be something that continues into adulthood, because yeah. originally it was something that. It's effectively you have it as a child. You turn eighteen, mm. suddenly, magically, it disappears, which it absolutely does not.
0: No, absolutely. And you know that's really interesting because the one thing that I think exists in quite a, well, I'd say quite a mainstream consciousness about ADHD from the outside is you're right. There's a there's this um, there's a misconception that ADHD. I mean, it, it always used to be. There's this horrible stereotype that's existed for such a long time I think even when you and I are both of a similar age um, and there's this this kind of really unhelpful really quite I feel quite nasty stereotype about ADHD that you know ADHD is another word just for naughty kids um, or kind of you know disruptive um, kind of whatever you want to call it kids but actually when it's when you when you become an adult it just disappears which of course as you rightly said is not the case
1: yeah and media doesn't help that necessarily as well no it doesn't if you want if you want an example of the adhd stereotype you don't really need to look any further than bart simpson Mm. yeah no
0: yeah that's a very fair yeah that's a fair point
1: And, Um, and that and that series does um that series does actually talk about ADHD and that that particular character has it but -hmm. doesn't really go into explaining exactly what it is other than it causes him to misbehave Mm. and doesn't really explain so it, it kind of creates fear around ADHD treatment as well.
0: And for anyone who's not aware, I mean, uh, you know, fair play to you if you've managed to miss Bart Simpson all this time. But Bart Simpson is a character from the animated series The Simpsons, which has been running since I think the late eighties. It um, yeah. was when it was originally started. Um, but that's a really good example of um media portrayals because when we're talking about media portrayals in in terms of, uh, I think that's a great one for ADHD. When you look at, um you flip that over to autism. Um, I think we. There's there's both examples of where media portrayals have particularly got it wrong, or have failed, or have kind of given out that false perception that um, ADHD or autism, in fact, only look one particular way, um, which I really think has contributed to some unhelpful kind of build up of stereotypes of, amongst society and kind of in culture i mean if you look at autism you know people usually jump to the kind of the rain man comparisons or yeah. um i think in perhaps more modern times maybe the sheldon coopers of big bang theory um although i don't think that's ever actually been clarified
1: for I I've never watched it. well i have watched bits of it but not enough to make that i've not been a regular viewer but i know
0: um in certain kind of social media and the online world you know a lot of people will refer to autism as oh i know autism it looks like sheldon cooper And it's like no you don't no, because you know that's that's kind of a a dramatized caricature caricature yeah that's a great word yeah caricature um which which like you said about the adhd thing is is unhelpful because it it, it really does cloud the field of vision um to explain how like these things like neurodiversity is overall is that is now considered as a spectrum um i think quite rightly um you know because of course it it's the one thing that we say about autism is you know when you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person i think that's a really great uh, um, turn of phrase to, to kind of just start that ball rolling for for educating others um but in terms of uh, just having a, another look at the research kind of notes picked up um it's the same kind of study um from uh, amy marshall and they were looking at uh, common shared they use the word symptoms i'm not sure if i like the word symptoms or not but that might just be a me thing um between adhd and autism themselves and um, so a, a couple of particular examples that i picked out i just kind of want to pick your brains on how you feel about um so adhd and autism shared common symptoms include inattention yep. um, atypical movements such as fidgeting and stimming uh social difficulties different yep. differences in learning styles um, as well as sensory difficulties, so those are just kind of five examples of, of typically shared common symptoms between ADHD and autism. Do, th- do all of those feel relevant?
1: They do. Uh, though one thing I would sort of say is it's difficult for me to say which comes from where, having both conditions. So. Of course,
0: yeah, that's a, yeah, of course, that's a really valid point. Does that make it more? Does it make it more difficult? When, you, when you've got those kind of that, those coexisting conditions to think okay actually what's going on here where which angle is this coming from what what context is this in or do you not really think about it like that
1: it does it can cause some difficulties so mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of examples I can give you are that quite a lot of autistic people have preferences for order um, yeah they like to have things in a certain way. I know a lot of what my autistic friends like to have are very tidy people. They want mm-hmm. things. And again, I will refer back to you saying this is a spectrum disorder. This is not all autistic people.
0: No, no, but of course. Yeah.
1: There is the desire for order and calm and just. Mm. But then ADHD prevents that. Yeah. Because yeah. you. A person with ADHD doesn't necessarily have the um, the the mental space to have that kind of order, tidiness, um, even inside their own mind. So I can be an incredibly tidy person, but mm-hmm. then at the same time, everything can also be chaos. And I will just shove everything in a box i i've I've seen them referred to as doom boxes before which i think is a great term for them yeah
0: i like i quite like that quite like that it almost um and again from an external perspective of somebody who who only exists alongside one of those the thing that i mean the most immediate kind of term that jumped into my head when i when i heard that example was there's almost a sense that it it might possibly sometimes feel like a bit of a tug of war
1: it is Um, um And I we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, I believe, about this, um, in that you cannot really necessarily medicate autism, but you can medicate mm. ADHD. Yeah. So I have, I have discovered that by medicating it, then sometimes the more the autistic traits will be more prevalent and more mm-hmm. in, on the surface. So as, as a very good example that I learned about, a few weeks ago and I am extremely lucky that I happened to have another autistic friend with me to sort of guide me through what was happening is that yeah. I've never I've never necessarily been 100% comfortable with crowds and loud places and, mm-hmm. and things however I had gone to a festival a couple of weeks ago and I had gone out in the evening and the way that, and I mean, at some point, we can talk about ADHD medication and what it does. But Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it, if you're comfortable that, about. Yeah, sure. The way that mine works is that I have one that I take in the morning, and it, it is designed in such a way that it will release the, the medication over about, it's supposed to be up to 13 hours. It does not last that long for me. The way that we get around that is if I have anything, because I do studying and stuff in the evening, sometimes I have the option to take a top-up dose. Which I had done that evening, not really thinking. I was just like, okay, it's my medication. I'll take it this evening. Mm -hmm. And everything was just heightened that because the ADHD had been so suppressed and it wasn't handling all of the incoming sensory experience, it's just like, "I, I, I can't be here. This is too loud. It's too crowded there were uh, fairground rides that were flashing lights was people singing on the stage we were surrounded by um street food vendors and so it's all the the different smells and just so many different things all going on at once and it took me quite a while to realize that that was why Mm -hmm. because in someone who just has adhd depending on the type you have one of the issues that you would generally have and it's all tends to be about neurotransmitters is that you are often severely lacking in dopamine which is the body's reward
0: yeah hormone,
1: it's a hormone or something else but that is what you're lacking in and my suspicion is that a highly stimulating environment can provide you with dopamine but if you're medicating the adhd you don't need it mm-hmm. so it leaves it effectively leaves it for your autism to deal with which it won't
0: so yeah so it's almost kind of like passing off with one hand to give to the other yeah um when of course the other is like you said the other is autism which of course comes with its own set of um challenges limitations uh, difficulties with with coping with yeah with, and especially in the context that you've given of, of kind of like a festival or a, or a busy loud kind of sensory um kind of provocative environment in terms of I'm quite interested in this personally and I know, I know that we've talked about it obviously privately but in terms of how that situation resolved um, how did you kind of how did you kind of manage to I don't know if de-escalate is the right word but how did you kind of manage to to deal with that as a particular example of a situation that you found difficult?
1: so this was an this was an outdoor event and mm-hmm. i had been invited by several of the people there to go to a club yeah. um which i was not particularly inclined to go to and i would have gone if everybody else had mm. um however i felt that i needed to kind of get away and i had told the person who arranged my tickets the previous year i don't need circle tickets so i can go up right in front of the stage but yeah this Actually turned out to be quite useful because you can go into the circle area at this, this place and around the corner, there were just a load of deck chairs. Okay. There was nobody there. And it was still really, really, really loud. But I had gotten away from the crowd just a little bit and that helped. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I sent my friends some messages saying, this is this is too much. I'm really uncomfortable here. And it turned out he was experiencing the same thing. Uh, so ultimately we made the choice we went back to my room um yeah and it was it was quite late so and surprisingly quite late all of the the local taxi drivers decided that two o'clock in the morning was a a good opportunity good time to like make lots of beeping noises which just didn't help no no so we kind of i (laughs) i like to sleep with a with a mask it helps me to sleep, um, it blocks the light out, and mm-hmm. it has helped me in multiple situations where I have to sleep with somebody who snores, because it has Bluetooth speakers in it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, absolutely, yeah. And I happen to have two of them, so we each had one. We played white noise, or some form of white noise for it, just to kind of create some sort of, it blocks your eyes, it blocks your ears, so mm. that's two of your senses, taken away so you can kind of let your brain relax
0: yeah it almost sounds a bit like a co- sort of you're kind of trying to counter the sensory struggles with with kind of almost kind of better strategies almost. yes um but I mean it, it, yeah I mean it's so it's so fascinating because obviously I know obviously that's the whole point that you're speaking today is about the fact that there 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 is this this coexistence between the two but as somebody who just primarily lives alongside autism it's it's fascinating because when you were talking about the festival example I mean a festival to me um could only realistically happen for me like you said if it was an outdoor event um I think I think because of the I guess there's a little bit more in terms of uh, freedom or the autonomy, at least, to be out in the open air and the ability to take yourself off to a different space that's perhaps men- maybe quieter or less kind of sensory overload. Um, but it's it's so interesting to hear that you had that experience because, for me, I wouldn't necessarily go to that sort of thing on my own, but even if I was with someone else, I'm not sure what my strategy would be other than to just give up and leave um but
1: yeah it's... I understand there, there are a number of other things that you can do and it's kind of we did some of that the next day as well so mm. um, one of the things that I use for focus with ADHD is I have noise cancelling headphones um ah yes yeah so yeah. the ones that I wear at home they are not really practical to take out but I do have some little earbud ones and mm-hmm. active noise cancelling isn't magic it does block out quite a bit of sound but mm-hmm. you know you will still be able to hear things that are going on around you but it does take the edge off a little bit yeah and i had given those to my friend um because i was content to wear earplugs instead and that kind of took a little bit of the edge off i i chose not to take the top up dose the second night that we were there mm-hmm. uh, which i think also helped yeah and i i think as well because it's kind of going back to the what good the diagnosis is if you cannot actually treat it is it gives you the it gives you the kind of opportunity to make informed decisions about what is appropriate and what isn't for you so before I kind of knew this I would have just been well everybody else is doing it so I should do it and my friends are all doing it I should be able to do it and now I can go well you know actually this is not good for my brain and I know why it's not good for my brain therefore I, I don't have to do it. Yeah. And mm. The benefit of having neurodiverse friends is, like, for example, this person, he's also not going to want to do the same thing. Um, yeah. There's going to be, there's an event in a couple of weeks with them, or nearly everyone we know is going to Thorpe Park, and I am not a rides person. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I ride a few, but yeah. it's kind of, it would be a lot of money for me to just go there and hold the bags. And... Sure. Of course it would. Yeah. No, I get that. We, we we were kind of, it, we kind of eventually ended up having a conversation because I said, well, are you going? And he was just like, well, no, I was waiting to see who was going mm. um, because I didn't want to be the only one who wasn't. I was like, yes, yeah, so was I. Are you not going? OK, let's not go. Yeah.
0: So it's kind of the mutually agreed kind of we know what's best for us and we know what's not best yeah. for us kind of thing.
1: Um, we can have a st- still have a great day out. And I think his plan is to just make food for everybody when they get back, which is
0: I mean that's a vital role, right? That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a crucial kind of function for the group. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about something like theme parks because I've only ever been to about two. Um, one being thought park, yeah, um, and it it wasn't. Um, I'm not somebody who is sort of iffy or afraid of rides. I think actually in hindsight kind of looking back uh, on that now given there's been quite a few years since it happened I think it is more the sensory stuff for me that made the experience perhaps less pleasurable than it would have been perhaps somebody who is neurotypical or you know who is, is kind of less less kind of noticing those sensory effects on themselves um I mean it's, I, the one thing of course about autism for a lot of people is uh, <laughs> you know is being put into situations where there's a lack of kind of first-hand control um and of course when you're locked you've you know get sat down locked into a ride and sent high up into the air and you're you know you're past the point of return almost yeah i mean for me it's kind of like yeah this is typically something i would never enjoy so why am i doing this yep (laughs) um so it's a strange one but it's such a great example because uh, you know i i like um i like the idea of i like the idea of a thrill you were um but there's there's that aspect to it of okay well I also know that not being in control um you know big flashing lights big loud noises lots of people crammed into essentially like sardines together is they're all things that I know aren't where I'm at my strongest yeah so it's difficult to find that balance between pleasure enjoying the experience but also recognizing a bit like you said what actually are your limitations and what things do you know that are not going to be great for you? um, That's a really tricky balance to find. Um, And it's it's so refreshing to have those conversations with other people. Like you said, other other people who are neurodiverse because it can, I don't know about you, but a lot of the time it can feel like, you know, you're trying to still do things that are enjoyable. You're still trying to find new experiences or to have fun with your friends or to, you know, kind of, make those kind of memories but at the same time you're constantly reminded I suppose once your awareness increases as well about the things you live alongside that you're you're much more conscious of okay well I can't just go into this kind of willy-nilly or blind I do need to be aware that that there are elements of this that I'm going to struggle with yeah Uh, and it's frustrating sometimes I think because you sometimes you do neurodiverse or not you do just think I just want to have a good time you know I just want to enjoy myself but there is that kind of, you know, it's not a great word, but sometimes depending on your mentality, it can feel like this burden of responsibility of, I have to remember what triggers me. I have to remember what I find difficult and make room for that and accommodate that. Um, And it's, you know, it can be tricky, but I mean, overall, obviously given the difficulties that you talked about, did you, did you find the experience enjoyable in the end?
1: I did, yes, and I think that's because I would found a way to cope, which mm. before I hadn't. And being overstimulated is, is not fun. And it's nice. people will say that ADHD people will require stimulation, but there is also a limit with ADHD as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even before my autism diagnosis, I can recall a situation working for an employer who—it's—it's it's a nice thing to sort of have music at work Mm -hmm. yeah but but not when there are three separate speakers all playing something different there are people shouting across the office and having this is a call center role as well so you're kind of trying to hear the person that you're speaking to and i I think i lasted about three weeks in that role I "I i absolutely cannot do this and the last week that i knew i was leaving and i just went into the area where we were all originally being trained which just happened to be empty and i was like please can i just work here yeah, so, you've so I'm found... the only one. Yeah, and I can I can listen to my own music while I work. Of um, course, oh, I yeah. will, I will choose usually music that isn't particularly. It's not going to draw my mind away from what I'm doing. So, um, very long kind of story thing that you could go into, but video game music is usually fantastic for something like that because it's I agree, been yeah, crafted I agree. in such a way to make you focus
0: there's such a focus um, I mean you and I obviously know about each other in our in our kind of own lives that that soundtracks or music from kind of television movies or video games for as as, as kind of three major examples are almost a way for us to regulate our own emotions perhaps in the moments where that's yeah naturally or typically more difficult Um, you know because often there aren't any lyrics you know often it is just instrumental there is it is just the music and you yeah
1: Um,
0: and of course like you said about you were still able to focus on what you needed to do work wise that you could still have that music on and I think that's a uh, I think that's a really sensible and actually acceptable combination um in 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 a situation where a you're at work but b also you're finding the, the kind of sensory stuff really overstimulating uh, i think that's really i think it's really healthy and i really i would really advocate for that but you know um it's such a shame to hear about those sort of experiences where you know obviously you were only able to be there three weeks but it, it's it's so it's almost it's frustrating in a way because it's no reflection on your ability to have done the job. It's no reflection on your ability to have added value to that role.
1: Yeah. But and it's, obviously... it's also not a reflection on the employer because it worked for everybody else. Mm. So mm. They, I could have sort of pushed them to make adjustments. It was just I was offered a better position and I took it. Yeah. Um,
0: but how do you feel about that in the, I suppose, when we're talking about the future And of course, um, there is obviously a lot of conversation in the kind of neurodiverse community about how do we improve awareness of neurodiversity? How do we improve the levels and standards of acceptance of neurodiversity? And how do we, I guess, how do we get to a place in the hopefully not so distant future where uh, areas of life such as employment not kind of a completely overhaul because of course like you said you know most people if we're being bluntly honest most people aren't neurodiverse um we live in a society where uh, you know neurotypical typical is the norm how do you see it from your perspective how do you see effective change i mean coming coming in
1: so a lot of it does come down to awareness so course, yeah. um understanding what these conditions actually are rather than what the perceptions of them are and also also awareness for people themselves I mean I have had no end of problems with roles at work you've seen me have problems at roles at work um, and I have never understood why Um, Mm. and it was the same with education as well so yes one of the things that has quite commonly been said about uh, ADHD people is that many of us may be what would be traditionally considered to be bright, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly useful because it means that you don't actually have to do any study and then you can kind of just push through and get a high mark at the end in primary education. Mm -hmm. But then when you reach secondary education, it doesn't really work that way anymore because you actually do have to study and ADHD doesn't lend itself to studying very well. So that's kind of where, you'll get comments like you have so much potential what's happened you're not applying yourself
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: understanding that that's because of adhd and getting away from the stereotypes like the the misbehaving child that's that's right yeah that's not what it is understanding that there are comorbidities with both neurodiverse conditions so mood disorders is a comorbidity Mm -hmm. and you Often, a lot of people will be given antidepressants when, re- in reality, they need ADHD medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I there is some controversy about ADHD medication being called powerful drugs um, recently in media portrayals on the news, uh, which is rather frustrating because antidepressants are also extremely powerful drugs.
0: They certainly can be. Yes, yeah, yeah they can. Yeah,
1: um, absolutely. Anxiety disorders. Um, i mean a slight quick rundown but adhd also has difficulty controlling emotions the same as some autism Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a very particular thing called uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria it's um you can feel very upset when you experience some sort of rejection and that might just be a telling off it might be an actual rejection by a friend or Mm. something like that but It might also happen if you haven't had said rejection. You're just just anticipating it. And it makes you feel awful. Um, And it's not a very well-named condition either. Um, It's not necessarily a deficit of attention. It's a deficit of your ability to sort of focus on things. Mm -hmm. Um, And a, a kind of a good example of it is working memory. It's a computer example that has a particularly powerful processor but hardly any memory in it
0: right so you okay.
1: can't do things at once because adhd people were brilliant in a crisis yeah you ask us to ask you ask me to remember things. So like if i don't write it down it's it's gone yeah and... so that's really interesting because on the flip
0: side um i find with um i often say to people when they ask about some some of my kind of strongest autistic traits um one of my kind of one of my strongest autistic traits is the ability to for retention for kind of almost useless trivia almost kind of useless information ah. but but it's it's stored like a almost a bit, a bit like you said it's stored like kind of a computer memory
1: so that's okay. long-term memory so if you imagine that as, if you were using the computer as analogy that's the hard drive mm-hmm. your working memory is the ram that's what you're holding in your mind at the time oh i got you i've got you yeah um, that makes sense yeah. there's There's a test, and I don't know how it works. it's called digit span, and it's kind of remembering a series of numbers and then reciting them backwards and an ADHD person cannot do that. It makes much more sense. Yeah. Um, uh, and it messes with your concept of time, so I kind of tend to have a something is either now or it's not now. and if it's now, then it's important and it needs to be done. but if it's not now, I forget mm-hmm. about it because it's not important. So, th- there is a lot. There's um, because you have a lot of s- stimulus seeking behaviors that can lead to sort of eating disorders, it can lead to substance abuse. And all of those, if we're just, I know we've gone off on a tangent because you have we do, we of, do here. Don't worry about it. You have <laughs> kind of um, taken an ADHD person onto your podcast, and that's what you're going to get, I'm afraid. But... I
0: mean, I, I know what I signed up yeah. for. So
1: don't panic. <laughs> all, all of this can affect people in employment, and employers need to understand that but also need to know what the adjustments are that they can make so i've mm-hmm. asked for reasonable adjustments in previous roles yeah and they haven't they either haven't known or they haven't been like one of the things that i've asked for before was asking for teams calls to be recorded so, oh we're not sure we're comfortable with that like, but why it mm-hmm. will help it will help me mm-hmm. and it will stay within the business it's not like you know you're recording someone's private conversation it's a meeting yeah and, yeah because there's such so little understanding of what these things actually are.
0: I was uh, going to say, it's it's almost like an example of something that, and I think a lot of this, when I think about what sort of adjustments I would ask for um, uh, alongside autism, it, it, to other people without the understanding, it probably sounds like um, kind of ridiculous or petty or kind of uh, illogical, but actually to understand the conditions themselves and to, raise that awareness to an acceptable standard actually just helps to know that these little intricate things that people people aren't asking you know neurodiversity as a whole the people that i speak to or encounter or meet or kind of have conversations with i i'm yet to meet somebody who's asking for the world to be changed I'm, i'm it's it's these little nudges or these little maneuvers that um, to anyone else probably seems ridiculous but actually the ramifications of doing so can be massive for that individual
1: yeah and it'll be things like um, if something changes and a new process is introduced for example and mm-hmm. for me in particular I might take a lot longer to adapt to that before I knew about yeah. diagnosis and I just sort of it had thought it was anxiety and I was kind. Tr- I was trying to explain without actually really knowing what was wrong, and I received the comment something like, "Well, you can't keep just blaming your mental health mm. when you don't want to do something." And it's like, "It's not that I don't want to do it. It's new, mm. and I'm forgetting to do it each time, and I can't help that. And I it needs more help to embed that into my mind.
0: Absolutely, without you breathing
1: yeah. down my neck to make it happen, it's it's incredibly frustrating."
0: it is i mean it's something i mean as somebody who who is who is just sort of managing with autism it's something that you have found in different circles of um life not just the workplace but but the workplace is a strong example of that is it it, there is that mentality of why is it every time something changes or, or we ask you something you whip out the kind of i'm autistic or i've you know that i struggle with that with in terms of mental health it's like it's not we're not using it as an excuse we're trying to apply the logic in terms of our experience into what you're expecting and obviously those two things are clashing because i'm coming at it from a position of i i'm much more aware of what i need and what that needs to look like and how that needs to feel whereas the other person is coming at it from a perspective of not having that awareness yeah. Not, not knowing those things in kind of more invested detail um it's it's not that either side is trying to outdo the other it's just about trying to meet in the middle a bit more yeah. which which doesn't tend to happen very much
1: yeah and i i guess from from the other perspective people can see it as an excuse that it's like well everybody else could do it and mm. they have they're it's kind of educating people to have that mindset it's like I am not everybody else. No. And it's like, you no. will get, you can get great work out of me, but it has to be in a way that I can I, do things.
0: I think that's the point I would always come back to is, you know, it, it, and I think in terms of employers, but also general other populace with, without that kind of uh, raised level of education or awareness, i don't i think the one thing i would hope for as an individual for the future in terms of neurodiversity acceptance and awareness is don't always look at neurodiversity and the desire for reasonable adjustments or kind of accommodations don't look at those as signs of weakness or signs of inadequacy almost yeah because they're not inadequacy they're enabling somebody who actually has very much to offer and and very many kind of skill sets or abilities or um, facets that can add to uh, something like a workplace it's not that we're asking those to be dropped we're asking for the approaches to those and we're asking for the way that those are formed from beginning to end we're asking for those to look differently we're asking for those to kind of formulate in ways that we know will work to get the best from us
1: yeah and I mean there are other things sort of that you can consider in employment in education as well that is available and a lot of people don't know that there is a lot of support there Mm. employers themselves will make attempts sometimes but a lot of the attempts from employers are kind of especially when it comes to mental health I heard an example before is just like If they make your life really difficult at work, it's almost like and then they'll provide something like, oh, I don't know. Have you tried mindfulness? Mm. And Mm. and the example I remember a friend of mine saying is like, well, that's pretty much like punching you on the nose and saying, oh, you have a nosebleed. You should really go to the hospital. Trade unions are also absolutely fantastic for Mm. um, neurodiversity. If we've particularly situations with difficult employers if you are in a trade union they will advocate for you they will support you and as someone who has unfortunately been put in situations where I have been dragged into formal meetings having a trade union representative there even though I didn't know I was autistic at the time having mm. someone to advocate speak on my behalf really helped.
0: Yeah which I think is is, is never to be underestimated and I think that's, that that really can be such a crucial to have at your kind of in your reach
1: if if you like it's effectively a toolbox that you have you have all of these things that you you can do Mm. Um, you have the understanding of yourself there are a couple of things that I would like to have funded but Mm. mainly it's actually just tell me what reasonable adjustments would actually work for me based on my workplace situation because I don't know what Mm. to ask for no
0: no and it can feel and again that's something an example of something that in isolation on your own, if you're not really clued up or tooled up from the beginning can feel overwhelming, um, which in turn is obviously counterproductive against you because of what, you know, You originally you started out with the intention of, okay, well, if there are things that could help me or just support me, yeah, then I, I'd like to know what those are. But if you're going at it alone, so obviously sometimes, I, certainly in my own experience, that can feel quite overwhelming uh, itself. The one thing I just wanted to say, because I know we've mentioned the word a couple of times, but I don't feel I've probably explained it just as a process or kind of a concept. Um, we mentioned, obviously, a couple of times the word co- comorbidity. Yep. Um, so comorbidity is the presence of one or more additional conditions. So I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who might be thinking, what the fuck does that word mean? D- is that yeah, fair? you've Do never you... heard
1: it before, and it contains the word morbid as well, which is... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah but it but it is just a a secondary condition that they they will exist alongside each other
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and the other thing that i wanted to it was actually the last kind of particular nugget that i wanted to pull out of the research one of the biggest other forms of of, uh, comorbidity that exist is anxiety disorders one of the most common to exist alongside asd and adhd and probably don't have enough time to go into the issue of anxiety. That's probably something we can say for another time. But uh, I think
1: it's definitely something that does. And there's mm. I, I would say from my perspective as someone with ADHD, there are two possible things that would necessarily cause that as well. Mm. Um, so there's the way that the world is around you and it will create anxiety because you are worried that. You're worried that you're going to forget things. You're worried that this is going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're worried about sort of all the horrible things that are kind of happening because you you're unregulating everything and you don't have coping strategies in place. Mm-hmm. But also, in particular with ADHD, sometimes that anxiety is manufactured by yourself. Yeah. So, um, I like to say a good example of that is if I um, if I have someone come to visit me. The threat of them visiting is what makes me clean uh, before them visiting, and I will leave it until the very last minute. And that will go for my uh, uni work, it can do things for my actual work as well. Mm -hmm. If there is a deadline and it's very soon, and because I've left it till the last minute, anxiety Mm -hmm. is what fuels me getting that done, and it causes hyper focus. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just and I, I'm pleased with this analogy because it's mine. But you, normally when you get things done, you use glycogen. I mean, you would still use glycogen. It's your body's fuel. Um, but effectively, you are also using anxiety to fuel your ability to get something done. And anxiety does not burn cleanly. So no. it's going to leave you absolutely exhausted and a wreck after you've done it.
0: Mm -hmm. I was kind of imagining you in that scenario when you described that and I could kind of picture it I could relate to it really well um, in an an element of kind of when anxiety takes a hold in a situation you kind of think okay well I've literally got no choice now but to kind of respond to this anxiety because I've kind of yeah um, like you said it's it's kind of a sometimes it can become even an unintentional fuel almost um, for getting through things or getting stuff done I suppose uh, we mentioned it kind of at the top of the episode we've talked obviously a little bit about what it means for both of these things to exist alongside alongside each other and what that kind of means on on kind of a a basic ground level for you Uh, I suppose really the last thing that I'd like to ask you is is I suppose in your own words really what led you to actually Go for those diagnoses, scissors. I can't say that word without diagnoses. It. Diagnoses, <laughs> diagnoses. That's a much better word. And um, what did it mean when they, when they were given? So,
1: I think my my kind of understanding of myself at the time before I had them is like I I knew people who said they had ADHD. I knew people who either said they had autism or um, were going through a very lengthy process to be diagnosed Mm -hmm. present company and um, (laughs) yes (laughs) i was just like but that isn't me i don't yeah you know and i you kind of just see media portrayals of autism like no that's not me and i'm not like um my adhd friends and and then i was kind of I, i think i just continued to have more difficulty with work with social stuff with relationship stuff it's like okay maybe there is something and then eventually one of my friends said about the fact that he was thinking "I, oh, you know I really might have ADHD and I was like but you don't you're not stereotypically ADHD and then I kind of started doing some research and I was like okay maybe this is me and I, I don't like to say that um, because a lot of people are now saying oh well ADHD is a TikTok trend and that is because there are a lot of content creators talking about their ADHD which mm-hmm. has led a lot of people then to seek diagnoses because they identify with them right but I don't look at TikTok so no <laughs> I, d- not- I, 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 d- I did research on um, this there's some talks that explain <laughs> sort of what they are there's um, a, a YouTube channel called how to ADHD there's a doctor called Russell Barkley who's done some fantastic talks on it and I was like oh my goodness all of this is me yeah
0: um
1: and I looked into the diagnosis process um so the county that we live in the waiting list for an ADHD diagnosis is approximately four years um mm-hmm. some counties okay. have an infinite queue because there just isn't the provision for it yeah um we uh it's convenient for me at least uh, I was lucky that we fall under NHS England um, so there is the option to use something called right to choose where if the NHS cannot provide you with um, something within a set period of time you can go to a private provider and it will be NHS funded which is what I did right. um, mm-hmm. and I received my diagnosis that way. So um, what did,
0: I, I suppose the second part of that question when they came through but you know those diagnoses both with with autism and with ADHD did it was there any kind of feelings or emotions that that kind of arose or did it all just slot into place easily and make sense and you kind of had that feeling of okay this is this is what it was supposed to be?
1: I think there's a lot of relief from it as well um, Mm. because it's like okay it makes sense something has finally explained it I mean there is a bit of anxiety about having the diagnosis because you fill in all the forms and there are some tests that you can do that kind of give you a baseline indication before you have the full-on interview where they'll talk to you and yeah there are yeah that's true it's kind of like what if i'm doing all this and that it's not that what Mm. if it's something else that you know Mm -hmm. and a really good example and then afterwards it's like well what if they were wrong what if this isn't what you know and an example someone had said is like you know we can barely remember what we had for breakfast. So how are we going to fool the actual trained psychologist? Sure. Psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they're, they're very good about it. And at the end is kind of you sit down and it's like, how are you feeling? Are you all right? Um, I've, I've read stories about people who burst into tears. And it's just like, you know, finally, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's that. Um, but for me, it's kind of right. Okay, I have this. I can now use this to to support myself so I can use this to 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 find coping mechanisms. now I know what it is I can find ways to exist alongside it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah no absolutely and I think it it is um I mean I'm somebody who as I record this has only just received their official diagnosis of um, autism and that's I mean, don't get me wrong. I've known for a very long time you know at least a few years that that that's what i was that's what I was dealing with um but to have it officially and and to almost close essentially what is a near thirty two year chapter on that part of your life and your identity of okay why why has a lot of this been so difficult? why has a lot of this been so confusing, why has a lot of this not made sense or why Why have I lost things like, you know, opportunities, jobs, work, you know, friends, relationships, that kind of thing. A lot of that starts to slot into place of not making it better, not making it easier, but at least making it logical. Kind of, under- like you said earlier, to really understand yourself and, yeah. and use that to propel forward into the, or your next direction almost.
1: Yeah, and I mean... I would say, I mean, we, we hadn't had the opportunity to talk much um, this evening when you mentioned it to me, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was kind of, we were a bit busy at the time, and it was somewhat of a short conversation, but based on sort of what your response was when I asked how you felt about it, and it's kind of like, although we didn't have much time to talk, it's like, I could almost envision you just saying, like, the weight had been lifted as, as such.
0: It, um the the oddest i suppose it's quite an odd expression but i almost want to do a bit of a um a bit a bit of a public broadcast to everyone who's ever either met me or known me or interacted with me and and almost just update them as like by the way guys i'm not weird i'm not an absolute nut job if if, um, on, if
1: only you had a podcast to talk about it on. i
0: know like, that's a really great idea i should really start one um, <laughs> but, um i like that it's a good point um almost you kind of because now everything's made sense for you you think if only yeah if only it could make sense for everyone who's ever crossed my path in life um and i think one of the things you were talking about not not long ago is there's a great real great sense that the longer you go undiagnosed with neurodiversity conditions the longer that goes on something that i really really got a sense of from you is the more that builds this this sense of i guess what you describe as imposter syndrome yeah um because you really do start to think okay well is this me is this not me am i being am i making this up am i being fraudulent am i trying to trick people
1: oh Um... i mean you 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 could do entire episodes on that and in a very typical adhd way i was going to say something else about the diagnosis and i have completely forgot what i was going to say
0: (laughs) it's okay it's okay it's absolutely fine don't worry um if it comes back to you then you know Mm. just jump at me but it's um i think um again there's there's so much more clearly and i know that we we spoke about this beforehand there is so much more that i can ask you so much more that we can talk about and and, and the one thing for anybody who's listening who doesn't have um much awareness of both autism and obviously in the, in the context of this episode adhd these these two things are huge you know they are huge mm. and there is so so much to unpack uh, for me obviously i have a lot to unpack when it comes to adhd because it's not something i live alongside but i have to say the conversations continuing and i i apply this to myself as well i think that's probably the point i'm trying to make is i apply this to myself that it doesn't matter if yes autism is something i live alongside and you know now that is kind of official in writing documented rah 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 But even though I don't live alongside ADHD, I don't have that that first-hand awareness or understanding. It's not something I ever want to stop Mm. learning about or stop looking at, because there is a reason that these two conditions are frequently existing alongside each other. And I think that's fascinating. I think that is, you know, relevant.
1: I have remembered what I was going to say. (laughs) Oh, it was you. You said it in a different context, but you said the words "if only," and the context you were saying was not necessarily related to this. But it made me think of something that I had been thinking about right after the diagnosis, and mm-hmm. it's there was a very brief period when it's just like, what if this had been found earlier? What would my life been like if I was it was found during childhood? How mm. different could things have been? And there is a little bit of uh there's like a little bit of bitterness, there's a little bit of sort of internal Would you call it dissonance. resentment? Maybe, but then at the same time I I don't know if it's I'm not necessarily always that pragmatic, but okay. it's just something in my mind just went, but it wasn't. No. So mm you can't dwell on what might have been because you'll never know it's something that you have said and uh, it's kind of like well it's not necessarily helpful for me to then hold on to that because no of course not um, Uh, you're right you're right it's like well it's it's in the past um Mm. although it does matter to an extent there's nothing you can do about it it can't be changed and I mean I, I I tend to quote this thing quite a lot but it's from like a really old movie from um whatever happened to baby jane it's just the line about but you are you are in that chair blanche yeah a bit of junk crawford in there but it's just like (laughs) if if only it's like but that that's not that is not your reality unfortunately as it may be the focus needs to be on what's going to happen now
0: and i think really as i described the end of I mean, it's the it's it's the end of my journey towards diagnosis. Now that journey is complete. The next part of my journey is taking that kind of validation and realization uh, and moving forward w- alongside it, holding
1: its hand. Which must be kind of exciting for you. It is exciting. I mean, it's it's you know, it's
0: it's kind of it's exciting and it's also confusing at the same time. It's a little bit like goodness now this really is real me this really is unmasked me and I, it really is all about what do i do next um but at the same time when you flip that over it is exciting because the thought of never having to uh, i mean there's always going to be instances where i have to either explain what autism means to me or looks like to me to new people or to kind of different different kind of environments but just send the link to your podcast and say come back in a few weeks yeah listen to my podcast and then come talk to me um (laughs) yeah that might be a really easy method um i think i think it is just that okay well this really is now i don't have to prove myself anymore yeah and that's incredibly incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. um but it's i suppose yeah i'm finally after nearly 32 years i'm finally behind behind my own driving wheel now i just need to pick where to go <laughs> so yeah it's kind of yeah um it's a good job i know how to drive let's put it that way so yeah it's it's i think it, i do know how to drive you know that
1: yeah i was being shady
0: okay well don't be shady
1: <laughs> I, don't I don't i don't actually remember your driving to be fair
0: I'm fairly sure I've given you a lift at some point in my car. Yes,
1: it was 13 years ago.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you should uh, you, you should remember these things. <laughs> what have you been doing in the last 13 years to forget, honestly? Um, I have to say, I could talk to you. It's been an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. to speak to you on this episode. I'm so grateful that you gave up your time to speak not only to me, but also to people that are listening um, and to kind of, start the ball rolling in terms of the awareness expansion of both living with autism but also living with autism and adhd as a kind of a brand new uh focus for people who who might have just been listening to this podcast for the first time and know nothing about neurodiversity um so to have and i have to say from a personal point of view um it's been bloody lovely not to just (laughs) sit and talk to myself (laughs) um it's been really really good I really hope actually you'll come back
1: I mean absolutely I am more than happy to I mean I imagine like I said we went off on a million tangents and rambled about loads of of different things so
0: yeah there are
1: probably things that you may want to pick up on more once you've kind of digested the conversation a bit so absolutely of
0: course but I, I would like to say of course as again thank you so much for appearing and I hope you'll come back and it's yeah it's been an absolute pleasure but until then to you and to everyone listening to the podcast at home thank you so much for your time your your contributions james obviously specifically and i'm going to be back next week without james this time but there is definitely some really great stuff to look forward to so i hope you've enjoyed the very first guest on the podcast and until then I will see you all very, very soon. Don't forget, in the interim between this episode and the next, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm on social media, out of the ordinary podcast. Follow me on there to catch any details on new episodes and previews, as well as your opportunity to ask me anything you like. I'm there, you can reach me. Until next time, I'll catch up with you very soon.